You agree with that song? I hope you do. I believe Jesus can make a difference in any life, in any home, and in any situation. And I don't want you to lose hope in Jesus today. He will help you right where you're at. We are privileged and have been all weekend uh, to have evangelist Dave Young and his wife Bethley with us from Pensacola, Florida. And uh, Dave has been preaching for many, many years now and on the road for many years being a help and a blessing to uh, many churches. Um, We brought them in specifically to speak into our marriages here at Fellowship on Friday night and on Saturday morning and then again at 945 uh, this morning during our connection group time. And I don't know what God has placed on his heart to preach this morning and tonight, but I know that it'll be from the word of God. and I know it'll be a help to our church. Dave was born in eastern Tennessee. His wife was born in Ohio. And now they live in Pensacola, Florida. They have five children. And uh, he's preached in over a thousand churches, schools, colleges, organizations, 48 states, at least six countries. And God is using him. We're privileged to have him and his wife at fellowship this weekend. I want you to open up your heart, certainly open up your Bible, and get ready to hear from the Lord. Let's welcome Brother Dave to the pulpit of fellowship today. And good morning, church family. Would you take your copy of God's Word and find the book of Job in chapter 1? Would you? Job chapter 1. I'm happy to be in liberal Kansas and I couldn't think of a better place to be this morning. What a great service. Amen? And the choir was just exceptional. Your singing was amazing. The instrumentalists were amazing. And well, we've, been, we've just had a great weekend with you all. Thank you for welcoming us to your church. And uh, you guys are just a blessing to Bethany and me. I'm glad I'm getting to know your pastor. And I'm just thrilled about that as well. It's just a little bit ridiculous that some people have that much talent. Are you all with me on that? And uh, the man can sing and preach. And that's just a little, a little out there, a little bit too far. Just a little bit too far. But uh, I'm so glad we've been able to be with you guys. What a privilege to serve you. Pastor said you're always out by two. So we got plenty of time. And uh, so get comfortable and uh, get your Bible here for God's word. And uh, let's just jump right in. If you have not yet met my, my girlfriend and my best friend and my sweetheart and my wife and my favorite person in all the world, Bethley's here with me. And not all of you were here for the conference or in Sunday school, but uh, we get to travel together. We've been on the road all these years together and God's been so good to us. I do have five young'uns and uh, three are married. Uh, all three of the older ones are married, serving the ministry. I have one grandbaby. And God's just been so good to me. We have a young man. Uh, our youngest son is 19. He's studying for ministry. And then our daughter, Charity, is 14. She's a freshman in high school. We just get to serve the Lord. God is so good to us. And he's just, we're just so blessed. I'm just, I'm just really privileged to get to serve you all today. Thank you for letting me do that. Are you familiar with the book of Job? What do you think of when you think of the book of Job? What comes to your mind? Any word? Suffering, that always comes to our mind. And that's a definite theme of the book of Job. Did you ever read the book of Job and think family? That word ever come to your mind? Did you ever read the book of Job and think his home? Did you ever read the book of Job and think victory? Did you know that Job won? Did you know that? Job had no idea that the devil had attacked him in the presence of God in heaven. The supernatural realm, he didn't know. Had it not been written in the Bible, we wouldn't know it. There was a spiritual battle happening in the supernatural realm, the real supernatural realm in heaven itself. And you remember the story, don't you? The devil said to God, hey, uh, I'll bet you, I'm paraphrasing, I'll bet you I could get your servant Job to curse you to your face. 
And God says, no, you need to think about my servant Job. My servant Job's the real deal. My servant Job, you ought to consider him. He's the real deal. I don't know about you, but I would, I think it'd be an amazing thing if God could say that about me. Wouldn't you think that'd be amazing about you? My servant, my servant, Dave, my servant, John, my servant, Sarah, you fill in the blank. My servant, they're the real deal. And what I love about these 42 chapters in Job is that Job is an illustration of a man who won. He won at home. He won in his walk with God. He won in the trials of living in a sin-cursed world. You know this, don't you, brothers and sisters? You know, don't you, that Job's not the last person that's faced the attack of the enemy. You know that, don't you? And Job is evidence to all of us that we can win. That's the point of this book. I want to take this hour this morning and talk to you about winning at home. Would you look at the first five verses of Job, the book of Job? Here's where it all starts. It starts with his home. And look at verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Beside of verse 1, if you write in your Bible, you could write these words. That's quite a man. Y'all with me on that? That's quite a man, isn't it? He's perfect. Now that doesn't mean what we might use it to mean. It means he was spiritually mature. Here's a spiritually mature man. Isn't that, isn't that what you men want in your life? To be spiritually mature, to walk with God, to know God, to have God's favor. Are you men that way? To have God's blessing? Are you young men that way? You want to walk with God and know him and grow to be the man God would have us all to be as men? And you ladies as well. Don't you want that? He's perfect. He's spiritually mature. He's upright. He's a righteous man. He fears God. You know, that's a, a, a phrase that can confuse us. It just means that he lives his life with such an awareness of God that it affects everything he does. He's aware that God's real. He's aware that God's at work. He fears God. And he eschews evil, which is an old English word, means he avoids it. He stays away from it. You would say in our culture, he, he'd be careful what he watches on TV. Can I, can I get help here? You'd say, be careful where he goes and what he talks about and the jokes he might say and the bywords he might use. He'd be cautious of what he allows to influence him on the internet. He avoids evil. He's quite a man. Y'all with me on verse one? He's quite a man. You get to verse two. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. If you write in your Bible beside of verse two, you could write, that's quite a family. Y'all with me on that? How many did he have? Say it. How many did he have? He had 10. How many of y'all agree? That's quite a family. Come on, help me out. Is that quite a family? Anybody here have 10? Just out of curiosity, anybody here have 10? Anybody here want 10? We'll pray for you. Anybody? I, I, I think it's great. The Bible says, you all know this, don't you? The Bible says that uh, happy is the man whose quiver is full. You ever read that? Aren't you glad the Bible didn't give a number there? Happy is the man that has 10 kids. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't give a number? Somebody says, my quiver's full. I have one. <laughs> we, we have five when we had three, our Matthew. Anybody here have a strong-willed child? Our Matthew was our strong-willed child, our strongest-willed child. He was hard to handle. He did. You ever said this? Before you have children, you say dumb things like this. I wouldn't put up with that for five minutes. And then you have children, and you're right. You put up with it for 19 years. Or you, say, you ever said something dumb like this? My kid would never do that. And then God gave us Matthew. <laughs> and we were like, oh boy. And right in the middle of it, I don't know, he's probably two, and we're trying to train him, and he's going, this kid is full of life and stubborn as all get out, and oh, my soul, strong-willed. And somebody, yeah, he was number three. Somebody said one day, how many kids y'all want? I said, two. 
And I meant every word of it at the time. Now he's a youth pastor in Alabama. He's doing great. We won. Praise the Lord. We won. Job had 10 children. That's a lot of kids. When you say 10 children, how long does it take to have 10 children? That's a lot of time. We just read it. Just He has seven sons and three daughters. If you're not careful, you'll read these five verses. And you know, just there it is. Now, don't miss this. There's a lot of years in these verses. Read verse 3. His substance was 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. He had 7,000 sheep now. That's a lot of sheep. He had 3,000 camels. He was quite a, a businessman. That's how you, you traverse the deserts and you're, you know, you're the, taking business deals and all that. 500 yoke of oxen probably meant that he was involved in, in planting and harvesting and all of that. He had 500 donkeys that were females. And what that would mean in their culture was that was used in traversing the deserts as well. The donkeys, the female donkey was often used in the Middle East in that time and in, in, in the East. It was used to, uh, you know, to take goods back and forth across the desert. And it was also food. Don't, this sounds weird to our culture, but they would milk the, the female donkey and drink the milk. They had milk to drink in the middle of the desert. I just want to testify and say, boy, I'm glad I didn't live back then. Are y'all with me on that? I have no interest to, to drink donkey's milk. I mean, I'll take almond milk over that. I don't know how they get that either, but I, I, uh, uh, I'm not interested in this donkey milk here. But you can write beside of verse three. This is a, this is quite this is quite some wealth. Here's quite a man and quite a family and quite a lot of wealth. And now his kids are grown. How long does that take? Ten children and now they have their own houses and their own families. This is a long time, a lot of time in these five verses. His sons went and feasted in their houses. Everyone his day. And sent and called for their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Would you agree with my thesis here this morning, my proposition that Job won at home? Here's a guy that had 10 children. That's quite a victory. Come on, help me out here. And now they're grown, have houses of their own, and they get along. It's quite a victory. The Bible here shows us something that's counterculture, and I'll say more about that in a moment. The sons honor their sisters. If you know much about the culture of that day in that part of the world, women were property. A guy, you know, he'd take a daughter, but often he didn't really want a daughter, a son was the way you made a living and that was your retirement program and that, you know, a son was important. But a daughter, you'd give her to, you know, the highest bidder. You'd, was property, not his boys. This is a different kind of family in the pagan world where Job would have lived in his day. It's quite, it's quite a, quite a story here. Job won at home. There's no doubt about it. In fact, you have your Bible? I've got time. Turn with me to Job 42, would you? That's the last chapter. If you find Psalms, you've gone too far, all right? But find Job 42, and notice you have 40 chap, 41 chapters of the devil attacking Job, and his friends are discussing it and debating it. And you come to the end of his life, Job 42, and you get to verse 12. By the way, mark your place in chapter 1, in chapter 42 if you can, because we'll flip back just a little bit, back and forth. Verse 12 of Job 42, 
So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen and a thousand she asses, female donkeys. And he also had seven more sons and three more daughters is the, the idea of verse 13. He named the, the, the first daughter Jemima, the second Keziah, the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land were found no women so fair as the daughters of Job. And, and notice this, notice, notice this little counterculture. The father gave them inheritance among their brethren. Men in that world, that part of the world never gives a daughter an inheritance. That's divided between the sons with the oldest son getting double what the other sons got. But notice Job's counterculture. Job's honoring his daughters in a way that the rest of the world there in the east would not have done so. And then the Bible says, and Job after this lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Do you get the idea there's victory in these verses? He dies and he's old, which I think is kind of a funny statement, don't you? He's 140 years. The Bible says he was old and I'm like, no kidding. Obviously he was, 140 years old. But the Bible says he was full of days, which is a Bible way of saying all was well. This old man dies and all, well, why is all well? Well, the Bible tells you right here in the context. Here's why all was well. Because all was well with his sons and his son's sons and his son's son's sons and one more, his son's 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 sons. His kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids and his great great grandkids. All was well. How many of y'all, how many of y'all think that'd be a great way to die? All is well. My kids love the Lord. All is well. My grandkids love the Lord. You ever thought about the power of your family? We have five youngins. Our goal is that our five kids will know the Lord, love the Lord, live for the Lord, serve the Lord, honor the Lord all the days of their life. Our goal is that they get married. We want our kids to leave. Can I get a witness? Somebody help me here. We want them to leave. I mean, there's coming a day where we're going to be empty nesters and we're going to be happy about that. Just me and Bethley. Woo, it's going to be a good day. I love being a dad. We're going to be us someday. And, uh, and, and I, I want our five kids to marry a godly Christian person who also knows the Lord, loves the Lord, lives for the Lord, honors the Lord all the days of their life. And I think it'd be great if all five of my kids had five kids. I have 25 grandkids. How many of y'all agree that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? We wouldn't have much of a Christmas, but it'd be loud. Wouldn't it be great if all, all 25, this is hypothetical, all 25 of my grandkids know the Lord, love the Lord, live for the Lord, serve the Lord, and honor the Lord all the days of their life, and they got married to a wonderful Christian, had five kids of their own? I'd have 125 great-grandchildren. That's quite a family, isn't it? That's quite a family. Wouldn't it be great if all 125 of my great-grandchildren loved the Lord and lived for the Lord and knew the Lord and served the Lord and honored the Lord all the days of their life and married wonderful Christian young people? And had five kids of their own. You know how many great, great grandkids Dave Young would have? A bunch. That's exactly right. (laughs) If you're doing the math, 625. How many are here this morning? Less than that, huh? Do you realize my family could be that important in the work of God? That I, I, if I won at home and my five had five and their five had five and their five had... In, in just four generations, in the young family, could be more people loving Jesus and serving Him than are in most churches in the independent Baptist world where I preach. You think about that. Job won at home. The question is, how do you win at home? I, want to, I like to win. Are you all with me on that? 
Anybody here like to win? I said that not long ago. And somebody said to me, he said, well, if you like to win, why are you a Tennessee volunteer fan? And I just found that very offensive. That was, that was, they were right, but that was very offensive. But I like to win, don't you? And Job won at home. Here's three lessons we can learn from Job and we'll go to lunch. And here they are. Number one, notice, here's, here's how you win at home. There was a character culture in Job's home. Think about the character culture of Job's home. It shows up in, in, in a variety of ways here. Really in three ways, I'll show you the character culture of his home. Number one, it showed up in his piety. You, you know that old word? That's an old word for us. We would probably say holiness is a, is a word we might be more familiar with. What you get the idea of is that Job is the real deal spiritually. How do I know that there was a character culture in Job's home? Well, because Job was a holy man. And you see it in all kinds of ways. Don't, don't you see it in verse 1 when the Bible says he was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. Here's a man that was spiritually mature. You you would get the idea. I I don't know how it was in his culture and and all that he had in his day. But we would say in our day, here was a man that read his Bible every day. He he walked with God, did what was right. He he had a prayer life. We know that for sure in verse 5 of our text of chapter 1. We know that that Job, they questioned, they, they attacked his integrity. His three friends attacked his integrity And they were hard on him. In fact, in one place they said, uh, you know, probably the reason the devil's attacking you the way he is is because you've been immoral. I know nobody knows it, but there's probably a woman somewhere that you've been immoral with. I'm talking about his friends were brutal. I just, I praise God. As far as I know, I don't have friends as bad as Job's. Job's friends were tough to be around. And yet Job just kept doing what was right. His holiness. He walked with God. He honored God. He was... uh, he was, he was perfect. He was spiritually mature. Are you pursuing that church? Brothers in this room, are you in, in your Bible every day? Are you working on your piety, your holiness? You walking with God as a man, as a lady? You teenagers? Glad to see all you young people up here at the front. God bless you. The kids, are you walking with God? I say this gently maybe, but your internet history... Would it show that you're pursuing holiness? Things you'll share on Instagram or, or, or what, whatever, social media, TikTok. You walking with God? Moms and dads, your TV evidencing that you're walking with God? It's not wrong to have a TV necessarily, is it? I've read my Bible through many times and not one time have I found a verse that says, Thou shaltest not as tavernest a televisionist. But even though it doesn't say it, how many of y'all know it's still true that we should set no wicked thing before our eyes? Are you with me on that? So let's just pause there a moment. Job, there, how did you win at home? Job, how, was, how did you have such victory in your life? You, you can see a character culture in Job's life and in Job's family and his home. It showed up in his piety. Watch this one. It showed up in his words. How many of y'all know that one of the great ways to evaluate your spirituality is to evaluate your words? Did you know that? Let me show that to you. In fact, I'll give you the references on the screen. Put the the first reference here, and let's look at Job chapter 1 and verse 22. You got your Bible open? Now keep it open. Look at Job. You got to really start reading probably in verse 20 to get the whole context. The the devil has attacked Job now, this sin-cursed world. Uh, This sin-cursed world has gone after him, and and the devil has taken away his wealth, and the devil has taken... In fact, the devil has taken all of his children. 
This, this man has really gone through a massive, massive battle here. And it just, it's almost casual. He says it so casually in verses 13 through verse 19. And then in verse 20, the Bible says, Job rose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and worshiped and said, naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. His words, evidence, here's a real deal. This guy, this guy, this guy, this, this guy's not a, just going through the motions. The, the, the curse of sin has attacked him viciously. Not a word in his mouth was wrong. That's amazing, isn't it? Chapter 2, verse 10. Job chapter 2, verse 10 is the story of his wife. You remember that story? Verse 9, his wife said to him, Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. Dost thou still retain thine in- Curse God and die. Now you be gentle about his wife, okay? Sometimes preachers in their zeal can be a little, maybe sarcastic about Job's wife, a little demeaning. But let's not be. Let's not be. She just lost 10 children. So whatever we think about Job's wife, let's be very gentle. Ladies, can you imagine how she feels? The hurt, the pain, the grief, the sorrow. Don't judge her words here. She's speaking out of a broken heart, a heart of grief. And her husband says to her in verse 10, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this did not Job sin with his lips marvel at that. Just sit in awe of that. If anybody had a right to complain, Job did. If anybody had a right to be negative, Job did. But Job has character that is unbelievable. You see it in his holiness, don't you? You see it in his words, don't you? You got your marker in chapter 42? Because his words show up again in chapter 42. And and if you're able to turn there real quick, we'll run out of time and I want to to finish the sermon. But in Job chapter 42, it's all coming to an end. God has now had a conversation with Job and his three friends and and, and, and God has drawn Job's attention to him. And there's a lot that could be preached. But look at verse 8 of Job 42. Uh, actually, verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. Watch this now. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, in that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right like my servant Job. Anybody find that a little amazing besides me? After all this conversation of 41 chapters, that's after all this uh, 40 chapters of conversation, God himself says about Job, hey guys, I want you to know something. You said a lot of things about me that weren't true. But my servant Job, he was right. My servant Job, everything he said about me was right. I, I don't know about you, but what I see in Job's life is a 
character culture that impacted his home. How many of y'all know this verse? Don't turn, put it on the screen. Don't turn, don't turn. Do you know James 1.26? Listen to this verse, it's a great verse. James 1.26 says, if any man among you seems to be religious. All right, now we're gonna do a little, little just we're gonna do a little something different, okay? Just me and you, all right, just, it's just us. So I want all of you to stop looking at me. And we look at each other. So just take a few moments, look around. I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to answer it out loud. So look, everybody look around. Come on, everybody, just look around, get a good look. And here's my question. Here's my question. All right, here's my question. Don't we seem to be religious? Let's try that again. Everybody look around. Now we're going to be here all day if you don't, don't help me here, all right? So, so you got to help me here. Get a good look, get a good look. All you folks back there on the shelf, uh, get a good look. And uh, look around. And everybody get a good look. Y'all got a good look? Y'all got a good look, yes or no? All right, answer this question now out loud. Don't we all seem to be religious? All right, now listen to this verse. If any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he has deceived himself, his religion is vain. Woo, that's brutal. I'm just telling you, this is brutal, brothers and sisters. I can put on a tie and go to Fellowship Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. In fact, every Sunday morning and maybe even put in a tithe. But if my mouth's not right, the Bible says my religion's empty. Vain is empty. It's like bubbles. Y'all know about that children's toy, bubbles? It's the dumbest toy you can buy children. You pay money for bubbles. Y'all know what I'm talking about or not? They have those in liberal? All right. You can get the same effect washing dishes. If you do it right, you can get the same effect. Go to the door. We go to Walmart. Go back to the toy section. Buy, a, buy a, a little container of bubbles. Take the lid off. Grab the one. Dip it in there. You've done this? And everybody goes, oh. I just thought about you. Americans are easily entertained. Everybody's like, wow, look at, the, look at those bubbles. Oh. But you ever thought about this? They have no value at all. How long do they last? Pop, they're gone. They, they accomplish nothing. <laughs> and we love them. You can say the little bubble is vain. It's empty. There's no value to that. It's just something to look at. Are you aware that God wants us to be more than something to look at? Do you, know, do you know, if we complain and gripe and we're grouchy and we're hard to get along with and we're easily irritated and we're uptight and, and, and we're easily bothered, we raise our voice at each other and we're sarcastic and mean and difficult and unkind and ungracious. You know what the Bible says? Your religion is absolutely empty. But not Job's. This man's character culture evidence is he's the real deal. How do you win at home? You've got to have a character culture there. Matters how we talk to each other at home. When I, if I'm going to be argumentative all the time and belittling and sarcastic and, 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 and rude and, and, and always frustrated and always on edge, there will be no victory at our homes. His, victory, his character culture showed up in his, in his piety, his holiness. Y'all with me on that one? In his words, y'all with me on that one? Did I prove that one to you? 
We've got to be done here in just a moment. It showed up in his consistency. I love this. What did Job do when he had everything? He served God and walked with God and honored God and pleased God. What did Job do when he lost it all? Walked with God, honored God, and served God and did what was right. The Bible warns about that, doesn't it? The Bible says in Deuteronomy that there's going to come a day, the nation of Israel, he said to the nation of Israel, there's going to come a day that you're going to be so stinking blessed that you're going to live in houses you didn't build and eat fruit, uh, eat, eat, eat fruit from the vineyard you didn't plant and you're going to drink water from wells that you didn't dig. In fact, he said, you're going to have so much food, you're going to always be full. Anybody identify with that? How many of y'all would say, uh, man, we're blessed. How many of y'all would say that? We're, we are blessed. I'm telling you, God's been good to us. How many of y'all would say that? I feel like we're living Deuteronomy chapter 6 as Americans. We don't eat because we're hungry. Talk to me. We eat because we're full. Really? Think about it. You ever said this? You ever said, uh, I don't know if I want to eat or not. I don't know if I'm hungry. I was preaching in Haiti one time. We were planting a church and we finished our service at one night. It was a great service and we were praying for 50 to come to that service. We were going to do an evangelistic meeting. Those who got saved were going to plant a church. And we're doing this meeting. We had 405 show up and 54 people got saved that night. I was on cloud nine, you know, whoo, I'm telling you, it was a great night. And uh, driving out of the mountains down to the village of Gonaive. And uh, my missionary friend, Brother Rodney Fitzsimmons, he said, uh, you want to get a bite to eat? I said, Brother Rodney, I don't know if I'm hungry or not. He said, what's that got to do with it? And I thought, you know what? He's not wrong. I'm blessed. I'm so full, I can eat more. Come on, talk. Y'all with me on this? What do you do when all is well in your life? If you're not careful, you'll walk away from God. Am I right or wrong? When God's been so good to you that you don't really need to pray much because, you know, you've got everything. It's easy to walk away from God, isn't it? Not Job. When Job was so blessed, he's the greatest man of these. You know what he did? He pursued piety. His words honored God. And so did his consistency. How many of y'all know the devil's an idiot? How many of y'all know that? Did y'all know the devil's an idiot? Because you get the idea that the devil doesn't know what he's doing here. Because if I understand, if you're going to try to get a guy to curse God, the best way to do it is probably not to put him in the valley. Is that reasonable? Because when does the average person go, God help, when you go to the doctor and find out you got cancer? Or when you go to the funeral home? Are, are you with me on this? It's the dark times of life that are more apt to cause a person to turn to God, not the blessings of life. So the devil's got it all backwards. God's been so good to Job that Job just serves the Lord. And the devil thought, oh, I know what I can do to get you to curse God. I'll take it all away from you. He put Job in the valley. Well, what else do you do when you're in the valley? What else do you do when, you, when everything is gone? When it, well, what's the best thing to do when you have nothing left? The best thing to do when you have nothing left is to go, God, help. The devil got it all backwards, didn't he? My point is that I just love the fact that when Job was blessed, he served God. And when Job had nothing left, he served God. When all was well, he honored God. When things weren't well, he honored God. Brothers and sisters, there's a lesson for me and you there. If we're going to win at home, we've got to have a character culture in our lives and in our families. There's two others. You got time for two others? They're not as long as the first one. Say amen. Okay. Number two here. Look at this. 
uh, there's a counterculture in Job's home. You want to win at home? You've got to be different than the world you live in. How many of y'all knew that? The world we live in is full of lies, isn't it? I, I could park here a long time, but we're, we're, it, we're done. We need to go. But I want to say about this character culture. The world is coming apart. Would you at least agree with that? And the world around us is rejecting truth. Would you agree with that? The cultural creeds of our day. Hey, that's my truth. That's your truth. That's the cultural creeds of our day. I know this is what you think. This is what I think. That's your truth. This is my truth. The world, we've got to be counterculture to this world. All truth is God's truth. And he is the truth. And his word is the truth. We've got to live by that. That's counterculture to the world we live in. It's counterculture. Uh, the world around us says, uh, hey, just do what makes you happy, man. Just do what makes you happy. Just do what makes you happy. How many of y'all know that's a lousy way to live? It's a lou- We've got to be counterculture. You don't belong to yourself. You're made by God. You're accountable to God. And God has a plan for your life that if you follow his plan, you not only find happiness, you find love and joy and peace and goodness and gentleness and victory. See, that's counterculture. Follow your heart, the world says. No, 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 no. Your heart's deceitful and desperately wicked. It's not a good compass to determine your living. You can't help who you love. You can't help who you love. Love is love. You can't help who you love. And I'm here to tell you, you're not free to act on every impulse or every desire or everything this world says. You belong to God and God's word will tell you what's right and wrong. And that'll be counterculture in the hour in which you live. Did you see the counterculture in Job? Job is living in an area not far from the land of Uz. Remember the land of Uz where Abraham, there was idol worship down there. And God said, I need to get you out of there so I can build of you and make you into a great nation. And so God brought Abraham out of that pagan world, but apparently left Job down there to live. God always has a remnant. You know that, don't you? Always has a witness. And so Abraham left us, but down, or left, left uh, the Ur, and us is not far from the Ur of the Chaldees. Got to get those right here. Um, where Abraham lived over there and where Job lived, those are pretty close to each other, and they're both a pagan world. And I pointed out what he did to his daughters to show you, brothers and sisters, that Job had a counterculture in his home. And Mom and Dad, it's one of the hardest things you and I do in our culture is to be counterculture. Say to your kids, I'm sorry, we're not watching that. I'm sorry, you, you can't play that dating game that everybody else is playing. We're not recreating dating. We're wanting you to find a husband and a wife. We don't want you to just play around in this dating game. We want you to live a clean life and develop character and integrity in your life and look for a husband and a wife so you can get married and raise a great family like Job did. That's counterculture, isn't it? Beth and I have been talking to you all week this weekend or, or all weekend about all kinds of things that are counterculture. Husbands, love your wife, be the head of your home. And the world around us goes, really? What kind of idiots are you people? We're counterculture. Christianity always has been. Did you know that? Wives, partner with your husband and respect him. Seriously, the world says, seriously? What kind of idiots are you people? We're counterculture. We found a better way to live. Can I get a witness here this morning? We found a better way to live. We found a better way to live. See, don't let this, don't let the devil lie to you that you serve God and live for God. Oh my goodness, life will be miserable and you'll bear it. No, no, stop it. 
We're counterculture because it's a better way to live. It's better to have God's blessings and God's favor and God's, God's victory in your life than to live the way the world lives. You can get what they got. It's available. It's a dime a dozen. Or you can be counterculture and character culture and you can find genuine victory in your home. Doesn't that put you on shouting ground? And one more, one more. There's a character culture, a counterculture, and there's a Christian culture. Don't you love the, the, the fifth verse of chapter one? I, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Don't you love the fifth verse? Because in the fifth verse, uh, what Job did was his kids got together and they're grown and they get to their own houses. They have these meals. And the Bible says, here's what Job did. He prayed for them. He prayed for them. Then he sends for them. The Hebrew phraseology, if you look it up in, in Hebrew definitions, the Hebrew phraseology is he sent and brought them over to his house for a prayer meeting. And here's what's amazing, moms and dads. The kids show up. The kids all come to daddy's house. They're grown kids with their own families, their own houses. And they come to dad's house for a prayer meeting. And he offers sacrifices for them. And he prays for them just in case they might need prayer. I'm just saying, I love this man. Just, just, just in case, you know, maybe, maybe my kids are struggling a little bit. Just in case, he prays for them. Get some in this prayer meeting. And the Bible closes out that paragraph, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, with these words. Thus did Job continually... You get the idea that Job had Christian culture in his home. He prayed. He prayed for his kids. He prayed with his kids. You get it. There's every reason to believe here. He trained his children. He, he speaks later about them being around his table as, as, as olive plants and, and olive vines. And he talks about how fruitful they're going to be. This is, this is an amazing man. And the lesson for me and you this morning is that victory is available in our families. There's a lesson. Be encouraged today. You say, my son is far from God. Can I tell you something? There's a God in heaven bigger than how far away your son is. You know, my daughter's not well. Can I just say something? There's a God in heaven who is a master at taking wayward people and bringing them home. Don't ever quit praying. Don't ever quit training. Don't ever keep talking. Don't ever keep teaching. The world around you may laugh at you and you may be busy and you may not have all the answers, but anybody here can develop character in your family and live a life that is counterculture in order to win your children. And anybody here can develop a Christian culture at your home. And brothers and sisters, it pays off. And if you read the whole book, you would find, Job makes this statement. Someday I'm going to die, he said. And after I die, I will see my Redeemer. You know what that tells us? Job knew that God was real. And he had a relationship with him. And there's two things I'd tell you as I close. Some of us this morning ought to pray for victory at home. God, give us new victory at home. Help our sons and our grandsons and our daughters and our granddaughters. Some of us this morning ought to kneel and say, God, help me to have victory at home. But somebody in the service this morning, you need God. And his son Jesus came to this world. He's the redeemer. And he died for your sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. If this morning at Fellowship Baptist Church in liberal Kansas, you would be willing to humble yourself and say to God, God, I know I'm a sinner. And I also know that your son Jesus died for my sins and was buried and was raised from the dead. And I want him to be my God, to take away my sins, to give me everlasting life. Did you know 
that today Jesus Christ would take away your sins and he'd move into your life and be your God and your Savior. And he wants to be. You guys have been a great audience this morning. Thanks for listening to me preach God's word. Don't you love Job? Aren't you glad he won? And I want to as well. Would you bow your head for prayer, please?